0: you for coming into the world as an as an infant which totally throws off the logic of conquering and power we don't think of those things in terms of small and innocent and helpless but yet you paved the way to teach us what life is all about and how to be saved through coming as a child and your humility. Your word tells us that you had everything. Philippians 2. But yet you voluntarily subjected yourself. You emptied yourself to come be one of us. To live among us. And we thank you. And we pray, Father, as we as we break open your word. That you will help us to make the most of this Christmas season. By reaching out to people who need you. And we love you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well I hope that you have your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 4 and uh, as you're turning there this is the last message in our series on evangelism. Uh, we've we've, I guess today will be the fourth one and uh, if you were not here two weeks ago I would encourage you to go on the podcast or go directly on the website and listen to the message by Isaac Kiwan Su. How many of you guys were here for Isaac's message? Um, If you were not here, some of you guys are like, he's going to say I was playing hooky. I didn't raise my hand. Um, No joke, one of the greatest messages I've I've ever heard um, preached here. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, Go on, seriously, seriously, go on the website, go on the podcast, give it a listen, give it a listen on a drive. It will absolutely provide fire to your walk with Christ. If you're like some of us and we've known the Lord for a while and at certain times our walk with Christ can become stale, can it? Can we be very honest this morning Or it seems like we were going in the right direction, but it just kind of seems like what used to be young and fresh and vibrant now is a little bit dull I'd encourage you, seriously, go listen to that message. I've not listened to Dr. Yates' message from last week, but I heard it was an awesome treatment uh, of Jonah. And uh, let's go ahead and go to John chapter 4. We've got a lot to do this morning. Uh, But somebody says, well, Jeff, we're two weeks out from Christmas here pretty much as far as Sundays go. Why wouldn't you do a Christmas message per se? We're going to do the incarnation next week. But do we realize as followers of Christ... The gospel message is something that by its DNA, what it is, is something that should be shared. Right? It's something that we can't just keep. So here's where usually the rub comes in our walk with Christ. Now, if you have your outline, I want you to follow along with us. Our driving thought is very simple. And if most of us are being honest, we'll say it hits home. And it's that personally sharing the gospel can begin in fear, but it always ends Enjoy. In other words, there are few things that create fear in the hearts of American Christians like this. Personally sharing the gospel with someone else. Just you and them and the wall and the Lord and sharing the gospel. A lot of us say, well Jeff, I don't, I don't exactly know what to do, right? I don't know where to begin. I don't want to say something dumb and mess it up. Like I don't want to turn them from just casual churchgoer to a hardcore atheist. Although, honestly, if you are a hardcore atheist, you may be in a better place than someone who simply comes to church and thinks that they're good when they are really not. Thinks that they're on the road to heaven when they're actually not. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Jesus and how, in one situation in particular, he approached the subject of personal evangelism and sharing the gospel, which if you're Jesus, you pretty much share yourself, right? And so we're going to look at the concepts that we can draw from that, and then we're going to give some very practical ways that you and I can share our faith. We built this idea up for about three weeks. The first week we looked at the glory of God, that's the reason why we should share the gospel. Then we looked at the reality of hell, and that hell is a real place where real people go for a real eternity. And compassion moves us, doesn't it? Then we looked at the joy of of sharing sharing the gospel and how that just creates joy. So what we're going to do today is look at how Jesus did it and see if we can find ways uh, from that that we can put it into practice. There's a statement I read and it goes like this. Evangelism is hard. Amen? And it can be awkward as well. But watching people you love go to hell is harder. Evangelism is hard. We could put other descriptors. Awkward, difficult, stressful, fearful. But watching people that you love go to hell is harder. And evangelism, just in case you're new to Rocky Mount Baptist Church, is not just something that God gives to people called evangelists. We are all called to share the gospel. Here's what Jesus told Peter and some of the guys in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Meaning, I will call you and I will train you to be able to reach out to people and not just to fish. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So the Bible tells me that I should be training myself and making sure that I'm able to articulate what matters most. There was a survey done years ago by Campus Crusade for Christ when Bill Bright was still alive. And... Guess how many evangelical Christians, people who say Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, I believe that the Bible is the word of God. Guess what the percentage of those who claim to follow Christ had actually ever shared their faith with any person at any time? 2%. But when we look at the Bible, it's kind of like Jesus is saying, when I save you, I'm going to save you so that you can bring my message to others, right? That's kind of the message here. So even if that 2% is just a little low, we may have a problem in the American church. Would you agree? And some of us, we're Bible study nuts, man. Come on. I mean, you, like we love Bible study tools and we love to get together. We do like to watch the videos. We like to sit around in a group and talk about what we learned about God's word. And what does the Greek mean? And what does the Hebrew mean? And mm, good point. But here's a sobering thought. If our study of the Bible never actually translates to sharing the Bible with people who don't have it or who don't believe it, then are we really studying the Bible or are we just studying a book to get more knowledge? Hashtag selfish knowledge. Are you okay this morning? Because in church, there's some people and they're just like, man, Bible study's not my thing. Like, I, you know, I'm always going to be sitting next to that person that tries to scoot over close and I've got a bubble. Or I'm going to be afraid that somebody's going to call on me to to, to read or to say something. Or I'm just going to be there and nobody that I know is going to be there. And so some of you, like you're struggling with even coming to a Bible study. There are some who come, but it never translates into being able to share it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to give you tools from God's Word on how to share the gospel. One more preface verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. The Apostle Peter writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. The Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, hardcore Christians, listen, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So the Bible tells us to share, so let's look at how Jesus did it. In John chapter 4, it begins with Jesus traveling through this place called Samaria. And in verse 4, it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Bible scholars, in the book of John, when you see the words, must or had to, having to do with necessity, it has to do with John communicating that this was a divine situation set up by God. So something, just from verse 4, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Understand that every single time you share the gospel, you share your testimony with somebody, that God is in control of that. Isn't that good news? That means that you can even think that you royally messed things up, but God had you in that situation. Notice he came to, in verse 5, to a town in Samaria named called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his, to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which is around noon. Okay, so here is Jesus, the Son of God, and he is what? He is weary he is tired this is hugely theological that jesus the son of god was not just god but he was also human so here is jesus who is tired have you ever been that point to where you're tired thirsty and hot and he comes to this well now here's where for those of you that have very finely tuned awkward sensors Notice in verse seven, I'm not even kidding. This is in the text. A woman, all right, number one, time out. In that day, if you were a guy, you didn't publicly talk to women. You just didn't do it. Women, if you were a nice girl and a guy tried to talk to you in public, so you come to the water hole very often. I mean, you didn't respond. But here's a question. It's in the middle of the day, which scholars tell us is the hottest part of the day, because we needed scholars to tell us that that was the hottest part of the day. And a woman from Samaria. Time out. Who are the Samaritans, and why does it matter? If you've read the Gospels at all, these people called Samaritans just keep popping up, and you're like, what are these guys' problems? Like, what, what is the issue? Like, what happened? 722 BC, 727 rather, BC, the Assyrian Empire, which if you're a history buff, that was kind of the first terrorist empire with terrorist policy. If they came against your city and they took down your city, they would skin many of the men alive. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? That's, in the, that's, that, that's, that's the reason why Joseph didn't want to go to Nineveh. It's not a rabbit trail, but he's like, those guys are the ones who are trying to terrorize and murder and torture my people. God said he's going to nuke them. If I go, they may repent and my God may hold back. So I'll just stay over here and be like, burn, baby, burn. That's why so of you are so hard on Jonah, but it was a lesson in forgiveness as well. So here's what happened. The Assyrians came in. The ten northern tribes in Israel were conquered. They were conquered to the point that every person worth deporting was deported. This is politically incorrect, but this is actually what happened. The Assyrians only left the people in the land that would be basically unskilled laborers or people who most would consider a little slow. They left in their standards the bottom of the barrel in the northern territory of Israel. Then it got even worse. They imported people who were pagans, who worshipped false gods, and they almost forced these marriages to come together. So if you're in Judea, if you're in the southern part of Israel, you realize that most of your nation has just been destroyed. They've been taken away. And then they import foreigners and they radically change the culture. So if you're a Jew and you're trying to maintain faith in God, you look at the north and you say, those people are the result of pagan marriages with the lowest Israelites. So they are mixed, and they are dumb, and they are irreverent. Because they actually set up their whole system of worship on Mount Gerizim. So the Jews not only had these ethnic, these racial tensions, but they had all sorts of cultural issues as well with the ones called the Samaritans. That's the reason why, look in your Bible, in verse number 9, it says that, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Because in verse 7, Jesus simply said to the woman, give me a drink. And she said, you're a Jew. You don't have any dealings with us. All right, time out. Jesus is in Samaritan territory. He's talking to a woman, big no-no of the times, and she's a Samaritan woman. This is evidence that Jesus doesn't avoid the awkward. And I would say, how many of us avoid the awkward, but you don't want to be awkward and you wouldn't raise your hand anyway? In American culture, man, it's almost like we're so self-absorbed that we don't want to do anything that would be awkward. Right? I mean, if somebody comes and they're they're talking and like there's a conversation and then nobody's saying anything, and we all look down and we're thinking, awkward silence. And we don't like that. So the people who talk a lot continue to talk. Y'all okay this morning? In Jesus' time, this was as awkward as you could get, but he said, you know what? I care about people more than comfortability. So Jesus spoke to her. And this is an evidence of Jesus' humility. So what Jesus did, number one, Is he related to her? When we share the gospel with people, we have to relate to them. If you are not good at conversation, we'll give you some tools at the end. But let me just say something that may get us in trouble. If you're the type of person that you will not talk to people, it means that you're prideful. Listen, here's the reason. Because you're worried about what it makes you feel like and your comfortability level. If you're extra shy and you will not reach out to people... Who's at the forefront of your mind? It's you. Welcome to church. And as Christ followers, he's called us to be humble and to go beyond ourselves. So first of all, he relates to the lady. Secondly, notice what he does. He creates this situation in verse 10. Instead of talking about water, Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. All right, he creates the situation in which he goes from the natural stuff to the spiritual stuff. And notice, she misunderstands him several times. She says, sir, you don't have anything, notice there in verse 11, you don't have anything to draw with. Like, are you going to be, you know, like the guy on the Incredible Four and like stick your arms super down and and pull up water? It doesn't make sense. She She misunderstands Jesus several times over. And then Jesus says in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water, speaking of the well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And he goes on and she misunderstands him again. In verse 15, she says to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's thinking water boy, super quality H2O. She's not tracking with him at all. I mean, now time out this is jesus couldn't we all agree that jesus is probably good at sharing the gospel but she misunderstood jesus if you have the unnecessary pressure on your shoulders that whenever you share the gospel that person has to get saved and if they don't and they don't become a flaming evangelist, then you have failed God. Listen, it's all under God's control. And if people misunderstood Jesus, sometimes they will misunderstand us. And if Jesus has promised to be with us, it means that even our mistakes in sharing our story will be something that God will use. So Jesus first all related to her, and then He created an opportunity to swing to the spiritual. But here's where it gets difficult verse 16 and jesus said to her go call your husband and come here what jesus did he related he created an opportunity and then he used conviction the woman answered him i have no husband jesus said to her you are right in saying i have no husband now imagine if you're the lady all right and he says for you have had five husbands And the one you now have is not your husband, and what you have said is true. So your lady, and most scholars tell us the reason why this woman came during the middle of the day was to avoid other people. Because if you had a choice, you wouldn't go get water in the middle of the day. You would get it when it's cooler outside. But in that day, in Samaritan circles and Jewish circles, ostracism was in style. Meaning that if you did something that was considered dishonorable, people would shun you. Think Dwight Schrute shunning. Putting you to the side, they wouldn't speak to you. And many times, if people thought you were a dishonorable, irreligious person, they would cross to the other side of the road. They didn't want anything to do with you. And imagine that, ladies. There's only one water hole in the town. you got to have water. But when you go in the evenings and the mornings, you get those looks from women that I will not even try to show you and imitate this morning. But you know what I'm talking about. The lady-to-lady evil eye. It was something of shame. So here she is, and she's talking to this guy named Jesus. He's talking about living water. She's like, what are are we talking about? And he's like, go call your husband. She's like, oh, no. And then without her telling him, he knew that she had already had five husbands. And she was cohabitating, otherwise known as shacking up with someone who wasn't even her husband at that time. Listen, when we share the gospel, it has to get to the point to where we talk about sin. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Every single one of us, me included, when Jesus begins to talk to us about our sin, whether we've been saved or whether we're here this morning and Jesus is going to save you today, Every time when the word of God is preached, when our conscience goes to that thing that we did that we're ashamed of, we automatically want to shift, don't we? I mean, very few of us want to come in and be like, let's talk about all that's wrong with, he, with me. We don't do that because we naturally want to avoid what makes us look bad. But notice how gracious Jesus is, even in what she said. He, he said, you have, what you have said in the end of verse 19, is true. Meaning, you were right when you said that you have no husband. This is Jesus being very gracious. And when we share the gospel with people, we should look for every possible common ground with people. When they say something that may be correct and we're in a conversation with them, we affirm that and we speak life into them. But notice how she begins to try to shift the topic she begins to say in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you were a prophet. And then in verse 20, she starts talking about the places of worship. Now, this was a divergent way to get the focus off of her sin. You ever share the gospel with somebody, and then all of a sudden there are smoke screens that begin to come? Have you been there? And it's like all of a sudden we're talking about this person, your friend, your family member giving their life to Christ, and then we're we swing, and now we're talking about evolution. Right? And then other times it's like, yeah, well, that's right. That's, I, I know that, right, I'm, I'm not what I should be. But did you see the New History Channel expose on the New Testament and how there are errors? That's simply an intellectual smokescreen to divert the attention from our own sins. So what do you do? Notice Jesus gently but accurately guides her back where he says in verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And in verse 26, Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. He says, I who speak to you am He. And notice her response in verses 27 through 30. She went to tell other people. She went to tell all through the rest of the narrative. She went to tell the people who she knew. So in other words, we look at Jesus's Modus operandi of evangelism and we see that he related to people and then he used something to create and then he used the law to convict And then he finally revealed so let's just walk through on some steps on how to do this This is an option. This is a way to talk to people. This is an acronym. It's called ford You can talk to people about their family their occupation their recreation or their dreams if you're talking to somebody who has kids ask them about their kids Have you ever talked to somebody about their kids? Most people who have kids love to talk about their children. Because everyone's children, they're perfect. Right? If you don't believe in some of that, try coaching like a kid's uh, ball team. Where you've got the mom and the dad like their kid needs to play pitcher. They need to be taking the ball up the court. So here's the point. Is when you talk to people about what they love, they may allow us to talk about Jesus. Jesus. You can talk about, you know, what do you do uh, for fun? What is your occupation? Or what do you want to be when you grow up? You say, Jeff, that's good. But I actually have people that I know. I know their family. I'm part of their family. We know each other well. How do I start to share the gospel with them? Because it seems like when I do, there's this mountain of difficulty that mounts up. I think that honesty and getting to the point. Come into your friend or your family member and saying something to the effect of, look, there's something I'd really like to tell you about. I don't want this to be uncomfortable for you, but there's something that I'd love to talk to you about, and it's my relationship with Christ. Would you just give me a few minutes? I know we know each other. I know we go way back, but man, God's been doing some crazy things in my life lately, and I'd really love to tell you about it. I'm not through this. Like, make sure you qualify. I'm not saying that I'm better than you. I'm not saying that you're something that you're not, but I'm just saying I'd love if you could. Man, let's meet for For coffee sometime, or let's meet to hang out. But I'd love to share with you what God is doing in my life. Because if you're a Christian, it's never just what God has done in my life. It's what God is doing in my life. And when you share the gospel, you can use transitional sentences. Like if you're trying to get to the gospel, you can ask a person, you say, can I ask you a personal question? And you say, do you know where you would go if you were to die? If you were to die today, or you can say, and this is all in your outline, if you died today, and you may want to say that in more of a jovial voice, rather than, if you were to die today. Like you, you don't want to do that, but you say, you know, just we don't want that to happen. We want to be many years later. But just imagine if you were to die and you were to stand before God and just say, for purposes of discussion, He were to ask you, "Why should I let you into heaven?" What do you think you'd say? And their answer will let you know where they are. For most people in America, it has to do with, well, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't cheated on my spouse. I do some wrong things sometimes, but I try to I try to treat people with respect and dignity and honor, you know, right out of the gate that that person is trusting in themselves to be saved. Then you can transition to say, well, do you think you've kept the Ten Commandments? And most people say, well, you know, maybe a few. And then you can throw yourself in there when it talks about lying. See, if I lied to you, what would you call me? A liar. If I stole, what would you call me? A thief. If I, if I, if I were to, to take God's name in vain, the Bible says that's blasphemy. Put yourself in there. You don't have to dump it all on them. And then when they realize that they've broken some of God's law, even if they've looked in lust, that's, that's adultery in the heart. Even if they've been dishonoring to their parents, that's a huge sin in the Bible. And then you say, well, imagine if God judged you by the Ten Commandments. Do you think you'd be innocent or guilty? And most of us, if we're talking to people, we would have to say guilty. And then we come to the big part of the discussion and we say, well, would you go to heaven or hell? That's where it could get awkward, right? I mean, we're talking about, can I ask you a question? And then we transition to talking about eternal matters. And then often people who don't know Jesus, our friends and our family members, they'll say, well, God's a forgiving God, right? And we say, absolutely, God is a forgiving God, but it's not automatic. I mean, even a good judge has to punish crimes, right? And God, being greater than any human judge, has to punish sin. We say, well, we think about how good we are, like, let's imagine we only sin three times a day, just three times a day. That's it. Three times a day. You're like pretty much a saint, a super saint, if you can only sin three times a day. End of a year, over a thousand. Live to the ripe old age of 70, over 70,000. Imagine being before the judge here, any of them, 70,000 traffic violations. Imagine that. And the judge is like, well, I know you, he tries, he tries. Do better next time, pastor. Not going to happen. The judge has to punish sin. So we, in love and in humility, point people to the fact that we sin more often than we think. But it's not just the fact of what we do. It's what we are. And then a lot of times in discussions, I've had people just out of the blue bring up this. Well, you don't have to go to church to be saved, do you? Right? You don't don't have to go to church or, or be a member of a church to make it into heaven. And some of us who know the Bible, will start quoting Bible verses, you know, well, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. That's the Bible verse for don't lay out of church. Come and be encouraged and equipped. But I think a more effective way when we talk to our friends and family and they think that being saved is about church, we say, man, if Jesus is real and if he saved me, And if I am as sinful as the Bible says that I am, then I don't ask questions like, do I have to go to church to be saved? But I ask questions, man, what can I do so that I can share this message with other people, right? It's no longer I have to go to church to assuage a guilty conscience, but it's I get to go to church to learn more about what's most important to me, right? It's not, oh, no, he's going to talk about giving to missions again. Would you stop, Pastor Jeff, for one week, please? No, it's like, because we we think, man, I, I have the opportunity to give. Even if I don't have much to give, I get an opportunity to plug into something that is worldwide. It's awesome. Because our heart, and this is what we say to our friends and family, our heart is what forms our questions. And when Jesus changes our hearts, our questions begin to change. And the beautiful part of the gospel is what did God do so that none of us has to go to hell? He sent His Son, Jesus. We tell them in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That means that every single one of us, if we got what we deserved, we would deserve hell. But Jesus gave us the gift of eternal life. And not only that, in Ephesians chapter 2, if you're talking to a friend who comes from a religious background to where works are really a big deal, or a person who doesn't have a religious background, but they're all about being a good, upstanding, moral person, we point them to the verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, but it's the gift of God, not of works, Lest anyone should boast. You can use random illustrations. Like you say, if I were, if I were, or if you were to come and you were to buy a really nice car or a house for me, and then I were to offer you five bucks in exchange, that's kind of like God offering us Christ, and us saying, I'll just try better. I'll try to smoke a few less cigarettes. I'll try to not go out partying as much. I'll try to not get angry with my spouse as much. That's the five dollars of insult of human goodness. And so we help our friends and family realize that there is no amount of personal effort that will ever earn heaven. And we see that Jesus is the perfect one, the holy one, the one who came and the one who kept the law, the one who died for our sins, brutally murdered on a cross, and three days later he was risen from the dead to show that the check had cleared and that eternal life was available to all who would come to Jesus Christ in faith. And the beautiful thing is that so many of us in this family connected place called Franklin County. Some of y'all have told me you can't get away with anything because everybody will know it. <laughs> you realize what a blessing that is, what accountability that is? That a lot of places in the US, man, everybody's moving in, it's 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 a lot of different economic factors at work here, but Franklin County is just like it's 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 like an extended family, whether some of you want those people in your family or not, it is. A family. And the fact that some I mean, it's just like you guys are reaching out, bringing your friends to church. Praise God for that. And you're like, I know him and some of them who come and I meet him. They're like, I saw so-and-so and so-and-so. And I used to work on the job with so-and-so. And it's just this connection. But we want, through the power of God's word, for you to be freed. To be turned loose. Not just to invite your friends to church. But to be able to share the gospel with them outside of church. Not just to introduce them to me, although I love meeting for your friends and family, but Jeff is one person, right? Our connection teams that go out and visit, that's just a few people. But if we can grab a hold of the impact of personal evangelism, think, it like, think about it like this. You share the gospel with your friend and your family, and you're like, oh my goodness, I know I've needed to. I've even put a little note on my refrigerator, and I need to share the gospel my friend, we've got a good relationship. Our family has been brought closer over the last few months. I know I need to share, but I don't know how, but I came to church and now I do. Amen. All right. So, so you're ready and you're fired up and there are other resources. You're like, I'm going to go learn and I'm going to go read and I'm going to pray. And then it comes to the time to where it's that family gathering or it's that meal or it's that coffee shop. And you sit down and you begin to You're like, look, I don't don't want this to be awkward, you know, but I want to share with you what, what God's doing in my life, right? And then you begin to share the gospel with that person through stumbling over your sentences and making mistakes and maybe not remembering a Bible reference, but you're just heart to heart. You're not giving a PhD lecture. You're sharing what God has done in your heart. And then it's very possible, and some of y'all have seen this. God takes your testimony, and he takes that word, and he implants it in your friends and your family members' heart, and they get saved. And there are a lot of you sitting here today because your friends have reached out to you. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? And you're here. And you think about that original time of inviting them to church and sharing the gospel. And then they come here and then slowly as they grow with Christ, your friend realizes that life is not all about themselves. And they look at what we saw this morning happening around the world and they're like, okay, the gospel's bigger. I'm going to start praying for missionaries. I'm going to give to missionaries. And God uses those prayers and he uses that gift to bring a missionary to go to a tribe in a village that never would have heard the gospel. Do you see where this is going? If it hadn't been for you sharing the gospel with your friends, because if they don't hear the word, how can they believe in the word? And in that in that village, someone could get saved and they could take it to the next village because they already know the language. And then your friend here may even say, you know what? I want to do missions and they go to overseas and they share the gospel with someone who would have never heard it. And then they're here and they're like, I remember my friend and, and or my family member, they shared the gospel with me and I got saved and now I'm plugged in at church. I know people who need Jesus. So then they begin to share the gospel with their friends and their family. And it begins to spread. And it very well could be that if we get beyond our own sense of selfish awkwardness and we start to open our mouths and let the contents of our heart, even if we get jumbled up in our words, to spill forth and just say, look, I don't I don't know how to use these transitions. I just want to do the transition that Jeff said. I've got something to tell you. We know each other. I I don't want this to be weird, but I just got, please let me tell you what God's doing in my life. Some of you have straying children, husband or wife that is disinterested in Jesus Christ. Listen, every lost person that has been reached in a dark jungle in Africa, South America, or these highland tribes in East Asia has been saved. We can trace it back to the grace of God, to people sharing the gospel one by one, one by one, one by one. But Satan wants to tell us that we don't know enough, and that we're not good enough in explaining things. But the power of God tells us that every single one of us can share the gospel. And the benefits and the people who are affected from that ripple effect may not ever come across our vision until we get to heaven to be with Jesus. I remember what Dr. Roy Fish, he was evangelism professor for many years, he said, if very may well be in heaven, people will come up and they'll say, all glory will go to Jesus. They'll say, Jesus is the one who saved me, but through his power, you're the one who told me. Jesus is the one who saved me, but through what he's done in your life, he used you to tell me.